Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. I'm continuing today, if you're new, uh, my name's Caleb, one of the pastors here, and I'm continuing our series on or in the parables of Jesus. We've titled it The Parable Project, where we've been digging into the riches of Jesus' stories. And Jesus taught in parables. These were stories of this day. He knew that people uh, would remember. They're more memorable, these stories. They brought out uh, real-life lessons for the early first century Jews. But while this was written and Jesus spoke to the early first century Jews, it is relevant for us today, 2,000 years later. In fact, we believe that about the Word of God, that it is relevant for us today just as much as it was back then. And so we open the Word of God every single week because we believe that it is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God, and there's power in it, and it changes us. So we're going to dig in here today. Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, go there, Luke chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to be reading here as we look at one of these seven parables that we're looking at over this seven-week series. We are in week four, and this is the shortest of all the parables we're going to be looking at. While it's the shortest, it's actually centered in and in the middle of an incredible real-life story that we see from Jesus' life. And it brings uh, a great, I believe, amount of insight to us today that I believe God wants to impart to us. So here we go. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from verse 36. Are you with me? Say yes. If you're on your phone, cool. If you got a real Bible, very cool. Um, You're extra spiritual. And then the Scripture will be on this giant Bible behind me. Here we go. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees, these are religious leaders, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender, here's the parable, had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiving, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith 
has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord, an incredible story from the life of Jesus with a short parable wrapped in the middle of it. And as I was preparing for this message, you know, I started to think about uh, just the reality of what Jesus was trying to get across to us. Typically, these parables have one main lesson. And while I'm going to share a few different thoughts and lessons from this parable, I was struck with the reality that Jesus is emphasizing here what I believe is a danger for us in the church. The same danger that this Pharisee faced. And the danger is that of a religious spirit. You see, the longer we follow Jesus, the more tempting it is to fall into the mindset of a religious spirit. And this is what this Pharisee is dealing with. And what I think today is that a lot of us in the church are blinded by a religious spirit. And it actually got me thinking about Bird Box. You guys remember that movie? Bird Box, Sandra Bullock. It was like all the rage on Netflix a few years back. I don't even remember the whole thing. I watched it and it was one of those movies like, oh, cool. Like, I don't even really remember the whole thing. But I do remember that there were some kind of, uh, of, of uh, individuals that showed up on earth, monsters, you might say. And if you saw them, you died. And so everyone in this movie blindfolded themselves and they walked through life and on the earth, even though they could see, they blinded themselves purposefully. In fact, some people even gouged out their own eyes so they would not see this monster of sorts so that they would not die. And I started thinking about that for us and how many people I think in the church, we can see but the religious spirit is blinding us. And what is it blinding us from? It's blinding us from what Jesus was trying to tell Simon about and that this woman exemplified. It's blinding us from love. You see, that's what the religious spirit does. It blinds us from loving people. And that's what the enemy wants for us in the church. He wants us blinded, so caught up in the religious spirit that we're blinded from loving the people around us, the people close to us, the people that we come across that don't know Jesus, the people that maybe are even in the church that we know are still caught up in sin. And more and more, we lack love for them. You see... I love our church because every Sunday somebody meets Jesus. In fact, so far between the first two services, I don't know, dozens of hands raised to receive Jesus. And I love that people invite their friends who, who don't necessarily know God or, or, or practice the way of Jesus. And weekly someone meets Jesus. But I think there is a tendency in this polarizing culture, even right now, today, that we would begin to see in the church unbelievers as the enemy. Rather than what they truly are, which is victims of the enemy. 
You see, that's what the people who don't know God are. They're not our enemy. They are victims of the enemy. The prince of lies who's a lion on the prowl trying to devour anyone he can. And I believe that there's no parable or example from Jesus' life that tells us more about the heart of God towards people than this scripture right here. A short parable wrapped in an incredible example of love for people. And that's what I believe today God wants to do. He wants us to take an inward look at ourselves. An inward look at our lives. I have people all the time like, oh man, I love this message. I got five people I need to send this to. Today, I just want to encourage you, let this message be for you. I'm not saying you can't share it, but make sure you look at your heart because the religious spirit is rampant in the church. And, and I must confess to you that I don't identify with the sinful woman. Some of you in this room, maybe you do. In fact, a few people after church, the last first two services, they told me, man, I identify more with the sinful woman, the life I've lived, the things I've done, identify with the sinful woman. But for me, if I'm honest, I've, I identify more with Simon the Pharisee. At five years old, I gave my life to Jesus, a rotten, wretched sinner. At 12 years old, I heard the Lord call me into pastoral ministry. At 18 years old, I went off to Bible college. At 21 years old, I graduated Bible college and said, I got to finish. I want to continue my education. And I, I started my master's. At 23 years old, I graduated with my master's in theology. And at 23 years old, I was in full-time pastoral ministry in a church. And now here we are almost 20 years later. And... I find myself, the longer I do this, the more the temptation is that I drift towards the religious spirit. So when I read this story, I'm like, man, I'm not the woman. I'm the religious leader. And it was sobering for me as God began to convict me and say, Caleb, you have a propensity towards a religious spirit. You have a propensity towards being blinded by that same religious spirit. And what am I blinded from? I'm blinded from loving. Loving the way Jesus loves. Loving the way this woman loved Jesus. So I want to share a few thoughts with you as it relates to what happens when we're blinded by a religious spirit. The first is that there is a default of judgment. Like your default, your go-to is not mercy. It's not grace. Your default is judgment. Now let me set the stage for this contextually, historically, because we don't understand fully um, when we first read this, what kind of meal this was that was taking place. Simon the Pharisee is an influential leader in this community. We know um, historically that this was a town, a small town, most likely between 100 and 200 people. Jerusalem was a large city center with thousands of people. But outside of Jerusalem, Israel was littered with small towns. Jesus himself was from Nazareth, a town of 100 people. 
And so Simon is the most influential, the most uh, uh, wealthy, uh, the most powerful individual in this small town. And so what's taking place is a regular practice where if a person of honor or, or notoriety came to that town, the, the city center or the person at the epicenter, the most powerful, the most wealthy, they would have a home with an open air courtyard. They would invite that person over to dinner and then anyone from the city community could come. Now they weren't eating at the feast, but they could come and dwell out, you know, around the courtyard and listen and watch as they had conversation, debate. And so Simon is inviting Jesus as a mode of discrediting him. He wasn't inviting him to honor him. He was inviting him to dishonor him, to debate him, to discredit him with all the people from the city coming and witnessing. So you, you got to think uh, uh, like a room like this and there's a center with a, a, a low table because they, they reclined at the table and there's a bunch of people around all listening and watching. Now, this was common practice in this day, especially when they weren't on the same page about something. They didn't have the same kind of courts where they could handle uh, disagreements. And so this would have been what we would call a meal covenant. Now, what is a meal covenant? A meal covenant is two people who have offense against one another and they reconcile over a meal. So this is what Jesus has been invited to. So you gotta think, they're in the center of this courtyard. There's people all around and he invites Jesus over. Now, it's significant what the woman did because of what Simon didn't do. He didn't do what was the common traditional courtesies for a guest entering a home, especially an honored guest. So typically, when you invited someone over like this, three things would happen. Number one would be the kiss of peace. This is a kiss of respect. He would have greeted him. Simon would have greeted Jesus when he entered the home with a kiss of shalom, right? Shalom, peace, a kiss on the cheek. This was the normal practice. We don't do this. So nobody try to kiss me in the lobby, okay? Um, this is not normal for us, but it was normal for them. The kiss of peace, shalom. That was the first common courtesy that was not done by Simon. The second would have been the washing of his feet. This was a common courtesy done by a servant. So here's a image of Israel. It's beautiful, but it's arid. It's dry. It's dusty. This is actually from Israel. Uh, show me another, another, this is another image from Israel. This would have been what a common path or road would have looked like in this day. In this day, they rocked the tevas. Come on. But they were leather, the leather tevas. Dusty, dirty streets. They would have walked while sweating. It's a hot, arid uh, climate. He would have shown up at this town in this and walked into this home with dirty, dusty, muddy, nasty feet. So the common courtesy is that you would then wash, the servant would wash the guest's feet. Why? Because they're about to recline. They didn't, they didn't sit at tables um, and chairs. They reclined on floors with pillows, propping themselves up with low tables. So their feet were all up like right next to somebody's face. And you're eating. So obviously common courtesy, it made the meal more enjoyable when the person's feet around you were clean. He does not do this. And then the third common courtesy would have been the fragrant oil. So in this day, we know that normal people bathe once 
to at the most twice a month. They didn't have the same access to clean water, running water, um, baths, no showers. And so a, a normal person in, in first century Israel would have bathed once or twice a month, which means they all were stanky. And when everybody stinks, no one stinks. So it's all good. But what was the common courtesy is you would enter into a home and they would put ointment, this fragrant oil on your neck, on your, uh, your back, your neck, your chest, your neck, uh, and on your head to mask your scent, your B.O. And this made the meal more enjoyable. It's like junior hires today, just Axe body spray. You know what I'm saying? Like all over themselves. Pray for me. I'm about to have a junior hire next year. None of these things are done for, for Jesus. These weren't just like things you did to honor someone. These were common courtesies for a guest. And Simon does none of those three. Why? Because he had already prejudged Jesus. False prophet, liar, manipulator. I'm going to discredit him in this place. I'm going to dishonor him in front of my city. He had prejudged who Jesus was. And what happens next is scandalous. As all these people are gathering to witness this meal and this conversation, in walks an uninvited prostitute. While anyone could come in, typically only the invited individuals of the community would come or, or higher up individuals of the community. And in walks this uninvited prostitute who begins to do something even more scandalous to Jesus' feet in the presence of this Pharisee with everyone watching on. And this same man begins to judge her. He says, if you're a prophet, you should know what kind of woman this is. You see, our first tendency when it comes to being blinded by religious spirit is to just judge. And the second, it goes hand in hand with it, which is we get caught up in the letter of the law without carrying the spirit of the law. This is what a religious spirit looks like. That you know the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law is not in your heart. Think about it. Simon was a Pharisee, which means he would have probably had the entire Pentateuch memorized. The first five books of the Old Testament, he would have known by memory. He had studied this most of his life. The letter of the law was in his mind, but it had not gone to his heart. You see, our job as Christ followers is to make the invisible God visible to a world that often opposes him, a world that doesn't understand him, a world that doesn't believe in him. And how do we do that? We do that by loving like Jesus. And you cannot love like Jesus if your first inclination is judgment. And you cannot love like Jesus if the letter of the law is here, but the spirit of the law is not here. We need God to open our eyes. To open our eyes because we are blind. We are blinded by a religious spirit. 
and we are blinded by knowing the letter without knowing the spirit behind it. You see, the danger of being like Simon is that we know the truth. We've memorized the truth. We've studied the truth. We even talk about the truth, but the truth is not in our hearts. I don't want to be blinded by the religious spirit where I know this, but I don't really live this. Where I know this for all the do's and don'ts, but I don't have love. That's what actually Corinthians tells us about. We can do all these things in Jesus' name, but if we have not love, we are a resounding cymbal and a clanging gong. We are not like Jesus unless we love. And that's what the spirit of the law is. The spirit of why God sent the law is the same spirit and why he sent Jesus. It was always about love. We're blinded by religious spirit. And what happens is we, we, we err towards conditional love. So it's like all love, but on my conditions. All love, but there's conditions behind my love. Simon is a typical Pharisee. Legalistic, judgmental, cynical, and while not all the Pharisees were bad, the majority were. And Jesus called them out regularly. And I started thinking about like, man, why were these Pharisees so mean? Why were these Pharisees always so opposed to Jesus and opposed to anyone who had, you know, visible sin in their lives? Why were they all like this? And I was struck with the reality that that's what religion does to us. If there isn't relationship attached to it. And so what happens in the church is we're like, I'm going to do everything, you know, uh, the, 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 I'm going to check off all the, the boxes of the list. But then when people are hard to love and when people are struggling in their faith, we go, look at them. Thank God I'm not like them. I'll love you based on what I can get from you. We love people based on what they can do for us often. That's what a religious spirit begins to do to us. You see, Simon appeared to be loving. I mean, here he is. He's the religious leader of this community. He invites people into his home. Yeah, come watch this conversation. But it was all about what he could get. Power, influence, authority, money. I mean, he got rich off of being a religious leader. He's the most influential uh, uh, financially wealthy person in this community if he was hosting something like this. He got rich off the people. His love for them was always conditional. What can I get from you? This woman could do nothing for him. She offered nothing to him. And in this moment, she actually is wasting what she has, has financially 
on Jesus' feet, he was receiving nothing from this. And so now there's a conditional love that's put in place. Listen, I'm talking to you about love today. The religious spirit will actually blind you from loving people. But, but hear me in this. It's often easier to love people we don't know. It's often easier to love strangers. But you know who are the hardest people to love? Those dysfunctional family members. Those co-workers who are always against us and are just so mean and hateful. And we're like, I don't know what else to do. Those children who maybe are disrespectful and, and, and give us no love after all we've done for them. And so when I say unconditional love is what we're looking for, I'm telling you, it is the antithesis of a religious spirit. Because the religious spirit loves conditionally. It's all based on what I can get from you. But that's not the heart of God. He sent his son Jesus with no conditions, but sacrifice. For you and for me, we could give him nothing in return. We are but filthy rags in his sight, the Bible tells us. And yet he came for us anyways. We're blinded in the blindness of religious spirit. It continues on with this reality that I think is in the church and actually against us in the church, which is there is a focus on people's past only. And somebody needs to hear this because I've actually seen where there are people who don't even know God that still have a religious spirit. What do I mean? They're those people that know you. They know who you used to be. And they see you like living your life for God and worshiping God and posting like your devotional time. And, and, and you post, you go to church consistently and they're the same people that talk about you. Like, Psh, I know who you really are. I knew what you used to be like. I know the things of your past and they'll talk about them and remind you of them. That's what the enemy wants to do to us, doesn't he? He wants to remind us of the failures of our past. And a religious spirit will make you focus on the people's past around you where you actually disqualify people because of what they've done, because of the failures that they have, because of the dark places they've come from. But I'm here to tell you, this should encourage somebody today in this place that God doesn't disqualify you based on your past. In fact, he just speaks to your future. And that's what he does for this woman here, doesn't he? He doesn't say, you're a prostitute. You've been sleeping around. This money that, that you made is this ointment that you bought, and now you're going to pour that on me? This is dirty money. Don't use this on my feet. No, he says, woman, you love much. Your sins are forgiven. The same thing he said to the woman at the well. The same thing he said to the woman caught in adultery. And I started to think about it. You know, why was this woman a prostitute? How do you get here? No little girl says, when I grow up, that's what I want to be. They just don't. She ends up here because she's forced into it. She ends up here because she's trapped by a system. She's a prisoner of the system. 
You see, much like today, we have more slavery right now than ever in human history. But much of it is sexual slavery. You may know Sacramento is a major trafficking hub in the Bay Area. And do you think these women, they, oh, this is what they want to do with their lives. No, they're forced into it. They're victims. And we know, historically speaking, that if a woman ended up in prostitution in this day, it most likely was because they were widowed, had no children, and no other family members to take care of them. And so she would have had no other choice. The only way you survive and eat and live is to prostitute yourself. You have nowhere else to go. You have nowhere else to live. And it's astounding to me that Simon the Pharisee in a town of 100 to 200 people, he would have known her story. He would have known her plight. He would have known the circumstances that led her to the place that she found herself in. And yet still he judges her. And here she is living with shame. The image of God in her has been shattered. And she shows up and all she wants to do is pour out her love on Jesus. And what does Simon do? He says, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this is. Do you know her past? Do you know what she's done? Do you know what she is? That same story in John chapter 8 that I alluded to is the woman caught in adultery where we know uh, they bring this woman into the, the city center and, and they all pick up stones and the Pharisees the religious leaders are about to stone her. And Jesus comes in and he writes on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he writes, but he writes something and then he looks up at them and says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it says one by one, they drop the stones and they go away. And, and Jesus says to this woman, look at me. And he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. You see, sometimes we think love means we don't speak the truth. No, I've talked about this before. We still speak the truth. Jesus still said, you have sin. But it is forgiven. And now go and live a new life. He speaks to our future. He doesn't hold us bound by our past failures. And you need to hear this because so often in the church, we're holding people back. We're holding people hostage. We're holding people from what God has for them because of their sins and their mistakes. And Jesus all the while is saying, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Now, some of us need help right now to break off the sin that has us in bondage. But I'm here to tell you, he continues to speak to your future. You know, I thought about what, what, what did Jesus write in John chapter 8? What, what do you think he wrote in the sand? As he stoops down and with his finger. You know, I've thought about it. I wonder if he wrote the names of the women that these Pharisees had actually had affairs with. Committed adultery with. He writes their names, says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and walk away. 
You see, this was scandalous. In Jewish culture, a man was not allowed to even be seen in public, a single man, with a woman. A, a, a married man was not allowed to be seen with another woman who wasn't his wife. A single man would definitely not have been allowed to see, be seen talking to a woman, let alone being touched by a woman, let alone a woman who is a prostitute in public. This is scandalous. This is taboo. And she lets her hair down, another sign of her impropriety. And Simon says, do you know, don't you know this kind of woman, the woman that is touching you? And what does she begin to do? It says, she doesn't just touch his feet. She kisses his feet. Simon greeted Jesus with no kiss. She kisses his feet. It says she wets his feet with her tears and lets her hair down and wipes his feet with her hair. And she takes out this fragrant perfume oil, which would have been extremely valuable, potentially an entire year's worth of earnings, which she had earned prostituting herself. And she pours out all of this on Jesus' feet. And what I believe she was doing was pouring out all her shame, all her guilt, but also all her love onto the one that she sensed and knew by faith could save her and forgive her. You see, this is the, the final temptation of those who are blinded by a religious spirit is that we would live a life of self-sufficiency. And I need you to, to receive this today. Simon's motives were wrong. The woman's were right. He understood the letter of the law, but missed the spirit of the law. He only knew conditional love. Jesus showed unconditional love. She committed physical sins of the flesh, but he committed far more egregious, invisible sins of the heart. All he could see was her past. And Jesus spoke to her future. Listen, receive this. If there is one thing that cuts us off from the mercy and the grace of God, more than any other. It is the pride of self-sufficiency that I can be good enough, I can be holy enough, I can be righteous enough, I can be biblical enough, I can be spiritual enough. And Jesus asks Simon a question. He tells him this parable, this story. He says, there's two debtors. One owes 50 denarii, another owes 500. And they can't pay. And so the, the, the owner of the debt says, I'll forgive both your debts. Which one will be more grateful? Which one will have more love for the forgiveness Simon says, well, I suppose the one who's been forgiven the 500. And he says, yes. You see, what he's saying to him is, she's the debtor of 500 and you're the debtor of 50. 
And when you're forgiven much, you love much. When you know how much Jesus did for you, you can't help but love him. But I'm up here confessing to you that often I'm like Simon. When he asked him, do you see this woman? Do you see her? He says, yes, I see her. And I know who she is and what she's about and what she's done. You see, Jesus is like, yeah, you look, but you don't see. He didn't see this woman the way God sees her. He didn't see her intrinsic value, her imago Dei, that she was made in the image of God and that God had not given up on her yet, even though Simon already had. You see, my temptation is self-sufficiency. I've been doing this Jesus thing, this church thing a long time, church. There are times I'm like, I got this thing down. In my strength, I can be pretty holy. In my ability, I can be pretty righteous. In my power, I can really follow this thing. But whenever I start doing it in my sufficiency, it's when the love leaves. And I'm blinded by the religious spirit. So maybe this message was just for me today. But the Lord continued to convict me this week. He said, the Jesus example is one of love. And what a religious spirit does is stops you from loving people. Father, forgive us. My Savior Jesus lived his life as a sacrifice, an offering for all of mankind, for you and for me. And he has asked us to be his hands and feet. He has asked us to be a light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He has asked us to be the salt in an earth that needs saltiness. So what should we do as followers of Jesus? We cannot approach people looking at their sinfulness. We must approach them looking at their intrinsic created value that they were made in God's image. And he is not done with them. He still has a plan and purpose for them. And he's called us to love them. So Jesus, I repent of the religious spirit that rises up in me. I repent when I operate in self-sufficiency, I repent when I don't love the way you love. I ask you to give me eyes to see. I want to see. I don't want to be blinded. Like Simon, Jesus, you spoke. You said, do you see this woman? But he didn't see her. Lord, I don't want to miss seeing the way you want me to see. So open our eyes. Jesus, open my eyes. With heads bowed, eyes closed in this room, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. You're here, you say, Caleb, first of all, I don't know Jesus. I've been running from him. And today you just talked about the Savior that died for all people, even broken, sinful, messed up. I, I relate, maybe you're in this place saying, I relate a lot with this woman. 
And today I need to receive salvation. I need to confess my sin. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord. I've been running from him. Maybe you turned your back on him. Maybe you've never known him. But today you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or recommit yourself to him anew and afresh. I want you to lift your hand. Go ahead, put it up if that's you. Just slip it up real quick. Yep, see the hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. See multiple hands going up. Thank you. You can put them down. Second thing, you're in this place. You say, Caleb, I struggle with the religious spirit. The pride of self-sufficiency, a lack of love, and not seeing people the way Jesus sees them. And right now, I don't want to be blinded by this religious spirit. So, so I, I want to raise my hand as a confession of saying, Jesus, help me to operate from relationship, not religion. I don't want that religious spirit on me. I want to fight against it every day. I want you to lift your hand. If that's you, you're like me. You struggle with the religious spirit. I got my hand raised. Go ahead. Yeah, hands going up around the room. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Would you repeat this prayer after me? You can put your hands down and say, Jesus, today I confess my sin and my need for a Savior. Thank you for dying the death I should have died and taking my place so I could have life and life to the fullest. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but you love me anyways. So Jesus, I pray against the religious spirit. I don't want to carry it. I don't want to default to it. I don't want to drift into it. I want to love the way you love. I want to see people the way you see people. So Jesus, may I flow from relationship with you, a loving Savior, in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Stand to your feet with me. Would you do something? We, we've left some time here at the end on purpose. I want us to sing a declaration that we are becoming the vessels that God wants us to be. And we're going to love the way he wants us to love. We're going to see the way he wants us to see. God, break off the blindness that religion would put on our lives. And may we see people and love people the way you see and love them. Come on, lift your voices with me, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.